Christie, the woman I'm married to, recently ran across a helpful proverb from the short story Song of the Bird by Anthony DeMello. It goes like this. On the street, I saw a naked child, hungry and shivering in the cold. I became angry and said to God, Why do you allow this? Why don't you do something? God did not reply. That night, he said quite suddenly, I certainly did something. I made you. There's much we can say or do with this exchange, but at its essence, God invites us to show up and participate in his work and care for his other children. And so with that, God is ever bringing before us opportunities for ministry, sometimes big, sometimes small, but always important, however insignificant it may seem. We are all invited to participate at some capacity. And so today, we'll work with a couple of questions. How do we show up for ministry? And what about the obsessive danger of trying to be relevant? What does it mean to contextualize ministry? Today, we're bringing back Josh Banner to hear his stories of how ministry plays out in his settings with music, university students, the church, and the prison. You may remember Josh from a podcast we did a while back about his work in the prisons. Or for those of you who caught last week's audio retreat podcast, you'll remember he wrote the original music for the prayer meditation. My name is Nathan Foster, and this is the Renovare Weekly Podcast. Hey, Josh. Hey, Nathan. (laughs) How you doing, brother? I am doing pretty good, but I've been thinking about you and your journey out of St. Augustine and uh, the weather in Florida. I mean, I've been really, I've been praying a lot for you and, and others around you. It's been heavy in my heart. I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. So I'm, I'm in a hotel now and waiting for the power to get turned off or turned back on so I can go home. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. It's just insane from Houston, from Harvey to Irma and then the, I think Jose is coming behind. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's been weird to me how, um, like, emotionally watching all the stuff on TV and and this weird sense of gratitude to not be there, but concern for others, and then yeah. this this nagging piece of how I'd love to be through a hurricane and I don't get to be there to experience the <laughs> the power of it all. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, we're safe and our house is safe and uh, yeah. Good. Hotel living it is for now. <laughs> I'm glad you're safe. Thanks. Hey, we we got to release this wonderful piece last week. Yeah, I was very excited to be able to do that with you and to see how it helps people. Mm. I just I love the way it came together and the the music that you put to kind of mirror match what what we were working with was that was just top notch. Thank you. I'm glad you like it. Hey, tell me, how, how did this idea come about for you to do these podcasts where you're encouraging people to, to pray with you? And, and why, why would you even ask people to pray with you on a podcast? Yeah, the podcast originally started when I was on staff at a local church here. And it was this awkward situation where the church was large enough 
to be able to hire a spiritual director to work on spiritual formation in the community. But it was so large that they didn't really have a paradigm for what to do with me. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, after a year or so of preaching, doing some worship, leading some retreats, some classes, uh, one of the pastors said, hey, have you ever thought about a podcast? And um, I have this awkward relationship with the stage, and I was thinking, oh, don't make me do a podcast. Like I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to, but I felt shy, and um, he encouraged me. Uh, and this is the great thing about working in a local church for a while is seeing what really works with people, hmm. what, really, what really helps people. And one of the things that he said was the way I was reading Scripture. Mm-hmm. And reading in front of people, whether it's the class or in the, ser- in the service, that people were commenting on how calming my voice was. And I'd never thought about that because I was so focused on doing music. And so um, I've always loved podcasts. Mm-hmm. And I just realized it'd probably be more important to do a podcast where we're guiding people on actual prayers mm-hmm. rather than talking about prayers. So... Um, yeah, the first one I did, I think, um, overshot any of their expectations of what <laughs> what would happen. Um, but I just found that all of my interests between the recording studio and spiritual direction and formation, um, music making, it all kind of came together in mm-hmm. that first episode. Very, very fun to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we usually think of the medium as, you know, gathering information, listening, being, you know, something of interest or some sort of entertainment. But I know when I first encountered the retreat, it was this huge shift of, oh, wait a minute. Now I get to participate. And yeah. and this is, uh, and, it, and it almost works like a book where we get to move at our own pace and go back and, you know, Good. kind of be with it. I mean, there is this larger picture of it's easy to spend time talking about spiritual practices, um, and there's so much to explore and learn, but but to encourage people or to give space for people to actually do them, um, I don't know. For some reason, that doesn't seem to happen as often as maybe maybe it should. Yeah, and I think that's what I was wrestling with in that position. I'd been at Hope College leading worship for eight years with, uh, you know, a couple – you know, it would be 1,000, 1,200 college students coming four times a week voluntarily to worship. And then I go to a local church, and I'm not having the same traction with uh, desire, hunger, and p- practice. Instead of just talking about prayer and worship, we get to do it. And I think that was just my impulses of being a worship leader and then moving into uh pastoral responsibilities of thinking, how do I lead people in worship in a different way? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. What, what was the process for you to put the music together? I mean, I, it, in a sense, I feel very honored to have, you know, original music put yeah. to this experience, but what, what's that like, that process like for you? Yeah. So, um, I had been writing music for Hope College all these years for the worship services and always having to surrender the production and the arrangements to really wondering what would serve a college student best. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of that 
tenure, I came back to a lot of the songs that I wrote and I thought, what would I want to do with those songs? How would I want them to sound? And so I still had some of my former students that were really, really talented, much better talented musicians than I am that were available and uh, they loved me like a big brother. And so we, uh, over the years, just spent some time dorking around and that developed another way for me to approach music in a way that I was thinking, what would help me worship? Hmm. I'll have to think about what is an 18 year old worship through, but what is Josh Banner? <laughs> and that was a real, a real healing uh, journey for me as I let go of a position that I love dearly and never really wanted to step away from. And uh, to think about meeting with people one-on-one as a spiritual director and what's happened to my sonic instincts. And so a lot of what I I, I put on, on this episode we just released with Renovare are some old um, chord progressions that I've just been dorking around with on my own with some friends and and then some of them are just soundscapes that I just I have particular odd interest in sound and noise. <laughs> <laughs> you bring up a, an interesting point, something that I've been working with for a while but never actually talked about. But that when I'm doing ministry, uh, whether that be writing or speaking or you know being with people, um, asking myself the question of is this something that would be helpful to me. Is, you know, would I want to read this? Would I want to hear this? And I almost use that as a certain litmus test of uh, maybe it's an authenticity to what I'm doing. Um, but I wonder if that's, you know, something, an issue to be thinking about in ministry of is this thing I'm offering, you know, something that, that would be a benefit to me? Not that that's, you know, all we do and we want to be thinking in terms of other people, but – you bringing that up about worship that what what helps me draws me into worship yeah yeah that's a, a very big long conversation I, it's actually at the soul of a course i teach still at hope um an adjunct prof um we look at a 300 level at the relationship between music theology and worship mm-hmm. and fundamental to that question is what is the unique role of music and the formation of a Christian disciple. Mm-hmm. And most of that is just the discernment of how do we handle this enormous, powerful technology to either form disciples mm-hmm. or what I think happens a lot with our technology today is we end up manipulating mm. disciples. So one of the things my students realize that I'm not a big fan of the the way the word relevant is uh, used in most ministry contexts. Mm-hmm. I, I So that's really helpful that you ask this question because when I was asking all these years, what was helpful for the college student? I am on one level asking what is relevant to them, but I like, I like the word contextual hmm. for my vocabulary. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. is in their, their context? Um, and and I really am thinking at a deep level about spiritual formation. I'm not trying to attract students necessarily, ensure mm-hmm. that they're going to keep coming to chapel. I'm I'm trying to think about sounds that make sense to their soul. Mm. And they, they just have a different aesthetic um, kind of palette than 
I do. Um, it's there's some overlap with mine, and definitely a different aesthetic palette than what my parents would have. Mm-hmm. So the question then is this very difficult thing I think is completely mis uh, missed by the contemporary church. If we have these powerful technologies, and it could be as true for an organ. And ironically, the organ worked really well with college students in various contexts. Hmm. Um, but really, being able to be with your people and know them well in my eight years there was a, a process of humbling myself, of dying to all of my, my impulses, what I would want to do, and uh, thinking, well, what would – I often found myself just asking my leaders – what makes sense to you what, and leading through them and trying to form them spiritually so that when they made the artistic decisions, they were thinking through and with the Holy Spirit informed by the scriptures. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's a helpful word in terms of contextual. So mm-hmm. We're not doing this to be cool or relevant, but mm-hmm. that we're going to make adjustments based on the context. And right. um, oh, that's, that's really good. I had a um, experience when uh, when Christy and I were playing out a bunch of shows with the band. I was watching a, a group perform, and they were singing a very emotional. The lyrics were very emotional, and um, you know, kind of gut wrenching. But I sat back and I thought. I said to I leaned over I, to Christy. I said, "I don't believe him." <laughs> <laughs> you know, meaning meaning. I don't think he believes what he's saying, you know, yeah. in in these lyrics. And I wonder how that fits into Christian context, not just worship, but then our yeah. speaking, our, our preaching, our one-on-one interactions pastorally with people. Um, do we believe what we're saying, you know? Yeah, yeah that's a tough thing because um, I, totally, I totally agree that we need to fill out a large, and that's the thing is, even though I say I handed over a lot of these things to my students, there's of course my fingerprints and my personality and my likes and what I believe in all of it. So that, like what you're saying, um, I could stand up and do a, a service with conviction mm-hmm. um, from a place of of belief and hope. On the flip side, again, I'm sorry, I'm acting more like a campus. <laughs> it's okay. I'm not my job anymore. <laughs> I guess I'm a college professor. Um, is that on the flip side, there is a sense, and in, in, in even as people practice your um, your guided movements through Julian of Norwich that we recorded, that we don't believe it yet, mm-hmm. but that the language is what we are hoping to be formed into mm-hmm. and to attain to. Um, and that's what I think is great about the way you did that uh, audio, the guide of giving us the concrete, repeating it, giving a, giving a real practical sense of the real language, and then to sit in it and to test and stretch and push and pull on it to see if we really do believe it, if mm-hmm. it does make sense in the deepest parts of ourselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe there's in, in all of ministry context, there's a tension. Yes. Of yeah, right. believing, but also, yes, you know, growing like into belief. Um, I mean, it almost fits with parenting in a way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like this, I know this is right, you know, in a kind of. I believe, help my unbelief, Lord Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think, and I think that would be the paradigm for how I wake up every day. Like, 
I want to pray, but I really don't. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it. I think I know what I'm doing with God, but I really don't. And I think what keeps us from actually practicing prayer, personal prayer and, and abiding prayer is this sense of failure. Mm-hmm. And so I hope in the audio retreats, it allows people the space to fail mm. and to know that they don't know what they're doing, but we still have a, a guided momentum through each audio retreat that says, okay, that didn't work. Now let's try this, this, this language, this movement and see if that helps you pay attention to God in, in a new, fresh way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really like this kind of focus on practice and, you know, certainly, you know, our church services are hopefully geared around. We're getting to have a shared experience with others and singing and listening and our interactions with people. But how do you think we can help people in their discipleship to Jesus move into the actual practice and not just get stuck in the intellectual or get stuck in the frustration, I can't do this, um, but to go, try, play, fail, learn? Yeah. I think that's that's the core question that Jesus was always attentive to with his disciples. And all of his teaching, all of his words always pivot off of what's happening in your ability to believe in the kingdom of God right now hmm. and practice. And then he says several times, you know, can you taste what I'm what I'm talking? Can you see? Do you hmm. have ears to hear? Do you have eyes to see? Um, and, and we often get confused when he says one thing to one person and another thing to another person. But the point is he's hitting the same big, big idea of the kingdom of God from different angles and for that particular person. And, um, and I guess I'm going to back up. I think that's what I would hope for anyone listening to this that is in ministry is at least in the context that I'm in, that we tend in this reformed part of West Michigan to talk about the kingdom. But we, and we've got some great high level astute theology, mm-hmm. but we're not living into the realities of the kingdom. And that's where Dallas Willard's writings, uh, especially through my studies at Fuller right now, of re- rehearsing Dallas's writings of saying, do we have a a practiced conversational relationship, an interactive uh, relationship with Jesus? So that's some background just Mm -hmm. so that I can answer this question. When you say, how do you help people do that? On one level, I want to say I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) On one level, I have no idea how the Spirit actually does this. I was just with a directee yesterday, and I've met with her, I don't know, two or three previous times. And she was, you know, wonderful woman, but I just hadn't quite seen God alive in her mm-hmm. in the way that she was reporting yesterday. And something had happened while she'd been on retreat where she described it as God just sneaking up on her and surprising mm-hmm. her and it was beautiful, beautiful. And so on one level, I want to say I have no idea how that happens. It mm-hmm. has nothing really to do with me. Um on the other side, I will say again, what I've, I understand Jesus to have done most of the time is attraction. He is always 
presenting to his followers and his congregations something attractive. And that's why I ended up using the language of invitation Mm. uh, when I was working at the church. So you've got all these service opportunities. You've got more chances to do Bible study. um, But how do I get their attention to try to make it very uh, approachable and invitational? Mm -hmm. And I think that's what Jesus was always doing is kind of going, look at this wonderful gift I have, uh, this life, this abundant life that, don't you want that? And if they can start to taste that desire, then they'll start listening to the Spirit in a way. Mm. And it's all on their own journey. It has nothing to do with me and everything to do with the Holy Spirit. Now, there is something to our religious practices, um, the shift of viewing them as an invitation mm. to a deeper life with God uh, mm-hmm. rather than an obligation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we're invited to participate, and yes. but not in a consumeristic way that, you know, kind of feed me, feed me, but um, we get to enter into something deeper, yeah, life-changing. Yeah, and I guess that, that helps me remember, like, what I've been showing my students, and I do this in the prison, too, you know, I'll say, you want to know what my definition of ministry is? And I'll say, here it is, and... I walk outside of the room, close the door, and then I open the door, and I walk in, and I sit down. Okay. I'm doing ministry. <laughs> and that's the audacity of a real disciple, a student of Jesus, that I have this attractive kingdom of God, this lovely beauty coursing in and through me. Mm. That's this audacious idea that when I open my mouth, when I enter the room— that I am full of God Hmm. and I am someone who beckons through me somehow. I, again, I don't know exactly how, but somehow deep calls unto deep Mm -hmm. simply because I have been injected full of the Holy spirit. Now, does that put me on a pedestal and make me something really special? I, I think this is what Jesus wants for everyone. Hmm. It's not that I'm some guru that's figured it all out. It's just what Christians are supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of showing up to be with others. Yes. I walk in the room. Here I am, yes. r- trusting that God is present, that God is at right. work. Um, right. And it, it speaks to a bigger issue that I think is so important in spiritual formation, particularly in teaching, is that it starts with us and our life mm-hmm. with God. And this kind of overflow of abundance, uh, and if we're not having spaces, whether that be interactions with others or times of silence, solitude, study, um, we don't we don't have much to give in, right. in, in a way. Right. Uh, that's good. I open the door and walk in. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It just sounds creepy in one level. <laughs> I'll say that. You know, it's like, who am I? I'm just some guy who, like you were saying, parenting. I'm just trying to figure this out. But on the other hand, do we really believe what we're saying? God is really with us. Mm -hmm. He's really inside of me. And um, that's the audacity that I think sounds and smells like Jesus. Mm -hmm. Well, what I like about about all that, Josh, is it's 
so far away from a manipulative, consumeristic, you know, let's kind of find the next relevant thing to whatever. Um, but basically, my life with Jesus, my life of devotion, the, the ministry I bring is from the overflow of that. And even if that overflow is doubt and confusion or kind of dryness, that somehow I get to, that becomes ministry too. That's amazing, yeah. Right. Well, one of the things that was so helpful to me when I first heard your retreats podcast is it just kind of disarmed me. I was riding on my bike and I, I, I just found myself lost in uh, listening to the words and the music was so helpful just to kind of draw me into this. And, and at one point I just had to turn the recording off and yeah. just get a little lost in, in uh, where that was taking me. Uh, and just found that so helpful and hadn't occurred to me that this medium uh, could give possibility to that. So I'm so glad to have gotten to to do that one with you. It'll be interesting to see how people receive it. I hope it's helpful to people too. If you're listening and you have any critical or positive feedback, please send it my way. Wanna, <laughs> again, want to be contextual. What is helpful <laughs> to the people that listen to Renovare podcasts? Mm. Well, that's part of opening the door and sitting down, mm-hmm. isn't it? We bring what we have and we're open to receive. Amen. Uh, that's good. Mm-hmm. That's good. Well, Josh, I want to encourage you in your work. And again, just thank you for partnering with us on the Julian Prayer Podcast. Huh? <laughs> thank you. Thank you. This is so much fun. Well, there you have it. I remain grateful to you all for listening. Thanks for your emails and support. And thanks for the generosity of those who financially support the work of Renovare. Be sure to check out our website. We have a new book club about to be launched. We've had some amazing articles posted lately, things to help us contextualize the wisdom of the ages as we grow deeper in our life with God. Have a great week.